0: Well, we've been talking about the Bible, and uh, now tonight we're going to talk about actually probably the most important thing about the Bible. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to, to the book of Job. Look at Job chapter 23. And <clears throat> aren't we uh, aren't we good at saying what you're supposed to say? Now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you say this. But if you ever said to a Christian, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. And they say that like they just thought of it themselves. And we just... We all know how to say something that sounds cool or, or intelligent or wise or whatever. Uh, and there's something that is said in the book of Job uh, that uh, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, Job chapter 23. And if somebody says, uh, will you, do you love your Bible? you believe the Bible? Oh, here's the answer. Look at verse uh, 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's a good one, isn't it? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your grace, for your very great kindness. And Lord God, I think I speak for these people. I really do. When I say tonight that we have no problem with you, because there's nothing wrong with you. And we have no problem with this book. There's nothing wrong with this book. Lord God, we don't even like what's going on in our country But the people who are trying to destroy our country right now, they're not the biggest problem we have. The biggest problem that every one of us in this room have is, is the one we see when we look in the mirror. I am the greatest threat to my Christian life. And these people are the greatest threat to their Christian life. And you gave us the greatest help that you could. You gave us this book. You gave us churches like this one where we can go and be edified and be encouraged. Come away from this crazy world, six days in it, and just come in here. And, uh, and just kind of immerse ourselves uh, in your book. Now, God, I believe these folks, they love your Bible, uh, and they want to do right by you. And so, God, I pray that you will bless this message tonight for thee. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, not only is that a great saying, but there's another great truth you. There's a, an amazing truth in this verse. Look at it again. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know what that, You know what that tells us? Job was not a Baptist. i never seen a Baptist esteemed anything more than food, okay? Whoops, i got to get this. And so, um, here's what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. Uh, this, how do I say this? I didn't write this message. Oh, you're preaching somebody else's message. No, 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 this is my message. I just said I didn't write it. No, my wife didn't write it. She wrote the rest of them. Uh, you know who wrote this message? You guys. You guys and people like you. Uh, you guys know that I'm a Bible believer, but you also know that I'm a Bible reader. I am, I am, I am convinced of the importance of reading the Bible. Uh, believing the Bible and not reading the Bible is like believing in steak and not eating it. And I believe in steak, but the fun starts when they put it on the plate in front of me. Isn't that true? And so um, I have gone around the world for over 50 years talking about Bible reading. And you would not believe some of the excuses that I have gotten from God's people who esteem the words of his mouth more than their necessary food on why they can't read the Bible. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of them are men. Some of them are women. Now, let me say something, ladies. Don't get mad at me. Don't leave yet. Let me finish my whole statement, then leave. Women say some stupid things. Now, come on. Remember the stupidest thing you said? I do. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. And... Um, But let me tell you this. Men also say some stupid things. They really do. Um, I don't think this. I don't think that women say things that are more stupid than men. I don't believe that. I don't think they do that. I don't think that men say things that are more stupid than women. The difference between a woman saying something stupid and a man saying something stupid is that when a woman says something stupid, it's usually obvious, and everybody gets a giggle. (coughs) Oh, yeah, you know. Hey, can you see the flag on the moon? Oh, where, where? (coughs) Oh. Everybody, when a woman says, oh, I, I can't believe I said that. When a man says something stupid, he thinks it's oracle. He thinks it should be etched in stone and memorized by children. <laughs> women say things stupid. When a man, only a man can say something stupid and finish it with, huh? <laughs> I like, that impressed you. Well, it did, not the way you think. And so uh, some of these have come from women and some of these come from men. Huh? And they're not in any special order. Uh, I just have, let's see, 41, 42, 73, 98. Maybe we should take that offering. I'll cut it short. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the excuses. ...that I have gotten from God's people, from King James Bible believers... ...who believe that every word in the Bible came from God. I'm not talking about the NIV crowd. I'm talking about our crowd. And I'm going to give you some of the excuses uh, that I have been given. Now, let me tell you why I am not doing this. I am not doing this so that I can mock or belittle the people that have given me these, these excuses. But here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing that if somebody told me this excuse, there's probably somebody in here... ...who has used the same excuse for not reading the Bible... I'm not going to bust you upside the head. I'm going to show you how to overcome whatever it is that you say is keeping you from reading the Bible. Now, doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Louder. Anyway. All right. So here you go. Um, and I had This was a lady uh, and she was well-meaning and, uh, and she came up and she said this. Uh, you know, I, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I told you this morning, we are Americans, and we've got every kind of uh, time-saving device on the planet, and, and no American has any time to do anything. I mean, you know, how can you read your Bible when there's dancing with the stars or Survivor, all the important things in life to be taken care of? And um, this lady, she was telling me uh, about the, some grief, some things that are going on in her life the week before. Now, when people say, I have a problem, can you help me? The first question I ask is, have you been reading your Bible? I don't do that to try to catch them not reading their Bible. I do that because if they have been reading their Bible, then I have an idea of where they're at. If they haven't been reading their Bible, then probably they need to start reading their Bible. And so I asked this lady, I said, "Uh, did you read your Bible at all last week? And she said, I didn't have time to read my Bible last week. I said, "Uh, did you watch any TV last week? And she went, I had time to read my Bible. I want you to know there's not one person, not one person excluded in this room. There's not one person here that does not have time to read your Bible. Now, if you say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Now, I just don't have time to read my Bible. No, you have time. You're just using your Bible reading time for something less important. In Job's case, it would be eating, right? He said, I esteem his words more more important than my necessary food. Guys, you have time to read your Bible. I'm sorry, some of this generation, it takes you guys 45 minutes to figure out what music you want to listen to while you read your Bible. Well, I should I, should I just shove it all aside, sit down, and read the book? Okay, let me tell you what happened a number of years ago. Uh, again, I was on the <coughs> I was on the staff of the Baptist Temple in Maslin, uh, and Pastor Cummins, good good man, he really was, and um, and he believed in reading. Uh, your Bible thirty minutes a day. I believe in reading ten pages a day. You don't know it. But I just said the same thing twice. Because the average person, this is—I noticed it. I, in fact, I figured it out. Uh, but then I found out that this is actually an official statistic. The average person can read one page of the Bible in three minutes. That's how long it takes you to read a page of the of the Bible. So ten pages, thirty minutes. Three uh, three, three minutes a page. Now don't come up. Don't come up after church and go. I can't, because I will believe you. But I remember one night, Pastor Cummins was preaching about reading the Bible 10, uh, 30 minutes every day. Now, let me help you with this. If you're going to say something stupid, say it to yourself. Then you'll be the only one that knows the truth. And so in my wisdom, to myself, when he said, Get out, uh, uh, read your Bible 30 minutes every day, at that time, I was not reading my Bible every single day. And, um, and he said, uh, "Read your Bible 30. you ought to read your Bible 30 minutes every day." And to myself, I said, "I don't have time to read my Bible 30 minutes every day." And it was like an angel squealed on me, because the very next statement out of his mouth was, "You don't have time to read your Bible 30 minutes every day." So who told him that? And then he cussed in the pulpit. I don't think a man should cuss, let alone in the pulpit. but you know what he said next? He said, "You don't have time to read your Bible 30 minutes every day." Get out of bed 30 minutes early so you can read your Bible. That's not cussing. I don't know what it is. I got so mad. I thought he expects me to start getting up at 1130 every morning just so I can read my Bible. So unreasonable. I was so mad. You know, some of you, you hear a preacher and you say, I went to church and and the preacher made me mad. You ought to thank him. I was so mad that night that when I left church and I went to bed that night, I set my clock 30 minutes early. And the next day, I got up 30 minutes early and I read my Bible because my pastor helped me by making me angry. And so, guys, you have time. You really do. You know what your problem is? Oh, I'm going to read my Bible, but I got to read this first. No, no, no. All right, well, I'm going to read my Bible, but I'm going to watch. No, don't. I got to, to listen. to No, no. That's what you're doing. You're taking your Bible reading time and wasting it on something. It can't, if it's not Bible reading, it can't be more important than Bible reading, even if it is eating. So you say you don't have time. Yes, you do. Uh, this one, let me tell you what happened a number of years ago. Uh, I was preaching in Pennsylvania. It was the first time I had the meeting. The, uh, it, it was a square sanctuary and, you know, they had, uh, they had a center aisle and then aisles up both sides. And the aisles on the sides, on this side, went into a, a door and it wasn't in the foyer. They had coat rooms so when you came out that, you went out the, the, the auditorium, on that uh, the sanctuary on that side, you went into a courtroom, grabbed your coat, out in the foyer and left. So I'd never met this pastor before. I'd never preached for him before. Uh, he gets up. He introduces me, tells him how great I am, uh, what a wonderful preacher I am, my sparkling personality, all the stuff that I had written down for him. And when I started preaching, he walked right out of the sanctuary. I mean, he I'm watching him. He was right out into the, into the coat room. But I don't see him come out in the foyer. But the door to the coat room is open. And while I'm preaching, all right, like, like let's say that this, this pulpit is the opening of the, of the coat room. Here's what I would see. I, I'd see the, the door open, and I'd see him like this. Like, you know, like an expectant father pacing about before. before. His, I thought, is this guy so afraid I'm going to say something that, uh, you know, he's, he's worried about it? And then, then I figured it out. I did figure it out. And as soon as service over, I and mean, he was there and, and, and closed the service and we, we went out to eat. And I said, uh, you have narcolepsy, don't you? You know what narcolepsy is? Narcolepsy is a disease that people just fall asleep. I mean, they can fall asleep at any moment. They can fall asleep at red lights. In, in fact, I think there's kind of a plague of narcolepsy in our country right now. Because I seem to be behind these people. The light turns red. When I was in Bible college, I used to paint houses, and we had an old painter. His name was Mr. Cobb. Mr. Cobb had narcolepsy. I mean, he had it bad. He would, he would fall asleep painting. He would be painting like a door frame, uh, and he'd be down like this, and he'd be doing the downstroke with a brush. And he I watched him. He'd go like this. He'd fall asleep eating. You parents, you ever remember your little kid in the high chair? And they got a that was Mr. Cobb, forever young. He would he would take about a bite, and he'd be he'd be gone. He'd say, what'd you do? We ate a sandwich. <laughs> we were his weight loss program. And I said, you have narcolepsy, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, if I sit down, I'll be asleep in five minutes. So he said he walked all the time, so he wouldn't fall asleep. I had a guy come up to me one time, and he said, when I read my Bible, I fall asleep. Now I gave him the answer. It's not a joke. I gave him the answer. He said, what should I do? I said, when you read your Bible, read it standing up. Now, I'm not a horse expert, but I think horse is about the only thing I know that that sleeps standing up. And so I said, he said, will that keep me awake? I said, that will either keep you awake or it'll really entertain your family. (laughs) Can you imagine, you know, pops upstairs, you're boom, oh, pop must be trying to read his Bible again. But guys, guys, you can't fall asleep standing up. And if you have a problem falling asleep, stand up when you read your Bible. You're going to tell me, well, that's just not fair. That's unreasonable. That's hard. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you believed the book. I thought you believed every word. I thought you wanted to read every word. So read it standing up. Now, let me give you a phrase. I, I, it's not the first person you ever heard say this. And if you say this, never say this again. No Christian should ever say this. You ever been talking to somebody and they say this? Well, let me be the devil's advocate for a minute. Uh, You know what I think when I hear that? Why would you feel dedicated and obligated to give the devil's side of a story? Why would you? You're his advocate? You're his lawyer? You're his spokesman? Why would you want to be the devil's advocate? When somebody says to me, let me be the devil's advocate, you know what I hear? I hear, let me be the devil. So I am not the devil's advocate. Nothing, nothing would please me more that if uh, there was something that happened and the devil had nothing to do with it, but everybody thought that he did, and I was the only guy that knew. And the devil said, Gip, you're going to tell him? I said, no. I just like seeing you get blamed for it, okay? So I am not the devil's advocate. But I say that for this reason. I think there's a lot of stuff that we blame him for. He wasn't even in town that weekend. A bunch of people said, well, the devil made me do it. The devil was surprised when he heard about it, okay? He didn't make you do it. But the next one, It is indeed some kind of a spiritual interference on Bible reading. And and I'm going to tell you, uh, do you know what a techie is? That's those people that they stand in line for four days to get the next iPhone. Oh, you're on your mind. But, and I'm not a techie. So if you are a techie, if you like cutting edge, I'm going to show you the cutting edge way to take care of this. Uh, and if you are not a techie, I'm going to show you the cheap way. I'm cheap. And here's the problem. I'm reading my Bible. And Kathy will call me. And I will go, what? And then I look back. Where was I? I'm, where, where and you know what? You know how I know it's, it's a spirit? Because I lose my place. So I start here again. And I read this column, this column, this column, and I get right here. And the devil says, there's where you were. <laughs> like I got punished by reading too much Bible. Now, and I know that as a spirit. I read two or three books at a time, different books. And, and um, I can take a book, put a marker in it, close it, open it up two weeks later, and start at the paragraph that I left on. I can look up from my Bible for one second and lose my place. Now, uh, I was talking to you about reading 10 pages a day. I read 30. Uh, I read a proverb for the date. I advise you to do that. That's this gold marker. I read 20 pages of the Old Testament. That's the red one. Uh, 10 pages of the new. So I'm going to show you the high-tech way to take care of this. This is a sticker. The only people that get excited about stickers are five-year-olds And the Ohio State football team. I got a sticker. Do you see my sticker? Can you imagine your surgeon? Are you good? I got a sticker. (laughs) Batteries never die. They don't. They don't ever die. Oh, listen! I know the generation. Many colors. Like colors? everybody have colors? Okay. So, here's what I do. This is, where this is where my Old Testament reading is. And I just picked up my sticker and I lost where I'm supposed to start tomorrow. I take this while I'm reading. <clears throat> I have it up here on my page. If Kathy calls me, I go, What? And it magically stays there. Some magnetic force. There's no electrons. There's no battery. How could it be high-tech and not have a battery? And, and I can talk to her for an hour. And then I go. And there it is. Now I know, I know, I think they're, you know, you can buy them cheap. I think they're, uh, with inflation, only about $75 for something this size. So if you're not a techie, let me tell you the low-tech way to do it. I'll be reading my Bible. Kathy will call me, and I will go like this. What? It stays there. It's like magic. I just give me, and I go, you're right. Oh, no. Anyway, that's why I have the sticker, but it stays right there. I'm serious. I will sit there talking to her with my finger right on the verse that I looked up at, and when I get done, I look back down and start where I left off. You say, that sounds too simplistic. It is simplistic. I like simplistic. I like truth, and I think truth is simplistic. And Have you ever lost your place when you're reading your Bible? Get the stickers. We don't sell them. This is nothing that I profit from, okay? Maybe I'll get King James Bible-believing stickers. Those are more important. They stick better than any NIV or New American Standard stickers, but sometimes you lose your place. I can't believe it. Now, ladies, ladies, bless your heart. If a lady ever had this problem, she was smart enough not to mention it. But I have had men come up and go, I read my Bible. I read 10 pages and I didn't get nothing from it. And I want to say, are are you aware that there's a verse in the Bible that says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Holy Spirit? I mean, really, do you really want to come to church and say, I didn't get anything from my Bible? I didn't get anything. I mean, really, do you want to come to church and tell people you're getting nothing from your Bible? And I only say there's one problem with that statement. It is totally, totally, completely, 100% wrong. I'm going to ask a question. You're safe to answer it. I'm. My hand is up. Your pastor's hand is up, okay? He even told you this happened today. After the morning service, we ate. Did we not? Okay. How many of you ate a meal? Just if you only ate one. At least one meal today. How many ate a meal today? Okay. You who raised your hands. How many of you grew an inch taller from eating that meal? I didn't say an inch wider. I don't think one person in here grew an inch taller from eating today's meal. Correct? Well, it's obviously not working. You may as well quit. Well, isn't that what we do? Well, I read my Bible, and I don't see any change. Keep reading it. Oh, I've had people say this. Well, I read my Bible, and I can't tell you a thing that I read. I know what that's like. I have it happen. But here's what you have to understand. This book, now I don't do this, okay, I don't do this, I'm not interested, I don't go to tanning salons, but I know how they work. Isn't this how it works? I do nothing but lay there and let this light make a change in me, right? That's the same thing as Bible reading. I just open up this book, and when I'm exposed to it as I read it, it makes a change in me. And the problem is this, and I know what your problem is. Whatever your problem is, it's laziness, it's uh, anger, lust, greed, whatever the case may be. Here's what you think, and you're wrong. You're just mistaken. You're not evil in being wrong. You're just mistaken. Here's what you think. Uh, You're going to find a verse, and one day you'll read that verse, and you'll go, wow, it's fixed. I will never have an anger problem again. Really? Shut up. No. I'll tell you what will happen. You will find out you grew by surprise. Uh, I remember doing this when I was a kid, little kid. I wanted a glass of water. I couldn't reach the sink. I couldn't reach where the glasses were. So I would take a kitchen chair. I'd push it over against the cupboard. I'd stand on the chair, open up the cupboard door, get a glass, put it back down, push it over to the sink, stick the glass on, standing on the chair, and, and fill my water glass, and then I'd push the chair back to where it was and drink my glass of water. And then it was a momentous day. I just finished filling a glass with water at the sink and realized I'm not st- I'm not standing on the chair. I'm standing on my toes. And I said, I've been growing and didn't know it. I didn't know it. And then I thought about I thought this isn't the first time I did this. I have grown. I've been getting my water without standing on a chair. I've been growing and have not seen it. And here's what's going on. If you read this book and 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 read this book, book, say, when can I quit? When you die or when you hear a real loud trumpet. But that's the only two valid excuses for not reading the Bible, guys. Death and the rapture. Now, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say this. And I have to tell you, did you ever pray a stupid prayer? You know, if you only prayed one stupid prayer, you probably did pretty good. And I prayed a stupid prayer. Uh, I told you, I've been reading 30 pages, reading 30 pages, 30 pages a day, puts me through it every 45 days, puts me through it about eight times a year, sometimes nine, the way it breaks. And I said this with a little bit of disgust in my voice. That may be what triggered God. But I said, is this making a difference? Is this doing anything? Now, let me explain something. Uh, I told you before I got saved, uh, I would tend to get in some fights and, um, If you've been in fights, I mean, somebody, you ever have somebody just, just come up and blindside you from behind? I've had that happen. I said, mom, um, no, I can't tell you where I was or who did it, but it puts you on the floor. And when somebody decks you, you have time to think about, do I really want to stand up and have that happen again? Or should I just roll under the pool table until the storm clears? But if somebody slaps a man in the face, there's no thinking about it. You punch him. It's just wrecked. You smack, you smack back. So I prayed this stupid prayer, stupid prayer. Is this doing anything? I, and I, was, I was up in upstate New York. Uh, I was preaching uh, in western New York. I think it was in the Buffalo area. Uh, preaching to a, 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 a preacher's meeting. And it was a fan-shaped sanctuary, about like this. And there were probably a couple of hundred, uh, 250 maybe uh, preachers, maybe 7,000. somewhere in there. And, and it's, it's so like when I'm preaching over here, I can't see these people. I'm, I'm preaching like this. And there was a preacher in there, a pastor, that absolutely hated the King James Bible. And hated anybody that was a proponent of the King James Bible. We had never met. But he hated me. And so while I'm preaching over here, this guy interrupted my preaching. Now, guys, I do not believe you ever interrupt a preacher. Don't interrupt a service. I tell my guys, don't you ever interrupt a service. Don't jump a preacher in the foyer. I told you the other day, take him out to lunch, treat him like a gentleman. But don't you jump somebody. And sir, don't you ever stand up in a service or in any way interrupt the service. And so I didn't even look. The guy said something while I was preaching. I just said, pipe down. And I, and I was preaching. And he interrupted me a second time. Now, I, I tell people, you can get away with anything with me the first time, but not the second. And so I looked at this guy, and you know what I did? I told him the truth. Now, again, you probably think I railed on him. I called him a name. I did all this stuff. No, 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 no. I simply said this. I told him the truth. Here's what I told him. I looked at him, and I said, Brother, God never told you to interrupt this service. Now, please be quiet. And he was. You know why? Because he knew I told him the truth. God never told him to interrupt my service. But I'm the visiting evangelist that I I just, you know, Destroyed a, a local pastor. And so I can imagine they're going to want to string me up. And I'm standing at the back door because I like to stand at the back door, shake people's hands. I, You know, I like shaking hands. I always get a few watches. And um, these pastors are walking out and they're shaking my hand. You know what they're saying? You were too nice to him. And why didn't you rail on him or why didn't you chew him out? And here's what they thought. They thought because he interrupted. I found this out. This guy was the open sore of that New York fellowship. He was the problem. I guess every time they had a meeting, this guy was caustic, always a problem. And when he interrupted me while I was preaching, they thought that I would chew him up. I don't do that. All right, so it's a Baptist preacher's meeting. So after we got done preaching, what did we do? Eat. You better believe it, brother. It's not a Baptist preacher's meeting if we don't eat. So we go down to church basement. I'm eating. I get done. I am walking out, and the guy steps in front of me and cuts me off. And he says this, well, it's obvious you've been avoiding me. And I said, brother, I said, you interrupted me while I was preaching. I said, you owe me an apology. I said, I'm not demanding that apology because I'm not going to get it. But I said, you also owe the pastor of this church an apology because you interrupted the preacher that he gave his pulpit to. But I don't imagine he's going to get his apology either. So I'm not getting mine. He's not getting his. Why do you think I'd want to sit across the table from you and watch you eat fried chicken? Now, I told you, guys, guys, I don't start arguments about the King James Bible, but I've ended a bunch of them, and this guy decided we are going to have an argument. Well, I don't want to argue. I really don't like to argue, but once we're committed, we're gone for it. And I don't want to do this. But now I have got about 25 or 30 preachers standing around listening to us. This guy's. And I finally thought, I realized I'm not getting out of here without confronting this guy. So I did. It took 60 seconds to undress him. In 60 seconds he was revealed for the fool that he was. I wasn't, I wasn't ugly to him but if you ever hear that old statement you know you mess with that Bible God will mess with your mind. This kid this guy was the poster child for it. And in 60 seconds I humiliated him. And I I, I said that and all of a sudden he smacked me. And then went like this. Now, remember I told you, that if a guy punches you, you can think about it, but if they slap you, you just react. In one second. You know what I did? You're, you're, you're probably not interested. My, my next point, <clears throat> my next point. In one second, I forgave him. I didn't tell him I forgave him. I just knew this. Now look, if it's a man thing, if he wants to find out who would win the fight, if he, if he asked me that, you know what I'd say to the pastor? You got a room where the two of us can go in there where there's a lot of stuff that's not breakable, and we'll spend about 10 or 15 minutes, and one of us will come out and lock the door behind us. But it wasn't a man thing. He hated the King James Bible readers. You may not know this, but I was representing you that day. I was representing everybody who believes this book that day, and I knew that if I whipped him there, it wouldn't be that the guy started the fight, it would be get beat on a local church pastor. So I forgave him. I just didn't do anything. And <clears throat> I end up leaving. But you know, if you let somebody smack you in the mouth and don't do anything about it, it's, it kind of pumps up your blood pressure. And I was so angry. I can still remember I'm so angry. I am putting new finger grips in my steering wheel on the way home. And here's what I said to God. I was so angry. I said this. I said, I don't feel very good about myself today. And God said, well, you got your prayer answered, didn't you? I said, what stupid prayer was that? <laughs> he said, you asked if reading 30 pages a day was making a difference. And it was. I, guys, I didn't have one verse on why I shouldn't smack him back. But Sam Gipp's reaction when somebody smacks him in the mouth is to take the guy out. But Sam, Gipp's rea- Sam Gipp with 30 pages, 30 pages, 30 pages, 30 pages, 30 pages, 30 pages. I forgave him. I'm going to tell you, here's what you do. You read that book and read that book and read that book. And you can walk away from it saying, I can't remember anything I read. Uh, didn't the food that did not, did not add an inch to your, to your height today, did that food you ate today not keep you alive? That's what reading this book on a daily basis does. You know what? Uh, I don't you think of your pastor. Please don't tell me. Anyway, um, I, but really, you know, you think of your pastor. you think, oh, He's my pastor. He's my preacher. He's my teacher. He's my counselor. Let me tell you what else your pastor is. He's a cook. Yeah, he's a cook. God has given him a divine recipe book. Uh, I'm not a cook. My wife is a great cook. She really is. No animal has ever died in vain that has come into our kitchen. And we have a kind of a partnership. She cooks it, I eat it. It's great. Tell me if this isn't true. If you ate at home today, isn't the Sunday noon meal usually a bigger affair than Monday's noon meal? Like Sunday's noon meal is a big meal, but Monday's is maybe the bologna sandwich you made. So your wife makes this great big meal on Sunday, but Monday, you know, maybe you just throw a couple of pieces of bread out there to throw some bologna in it. And um, it's not the same meal. But doesn't Monday's meal keep you alive? And if you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Tuesday, doesn't it keep you alive? You know what happens? You eat that little meal on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You know what it does? It gets you through to the next Sunday when you come in. And get the big meal that your pastor has prepared from the recipe book. That's why you need to be in church every Sunday. And so, guys, uh, if you say you're not getting something from it, I'm telling you the truth. You are getting something from it. Um, I had um, uh, this one, this one, this one. I I get mad about, and I get mad about. It's actually kind of personal uh, with me and God. I, I think I said this earlier. Maybe I didn't. But if you are musical, I am not musical. Okay. But if you are musical, you play the piano, you sing, your choir sounds... Your choir always sounds so good. It sounds so good this morning. And tonight, you guys, were here. And... um, But really, if you're musical, you people who are... You know, you play an instrument or something like that. And Now, believe it. I can sing. I really can sing. I can carry a tune. But I don't understand music. And Kathy and I, we would sing. And we'd come to the pulpit. She would hum the note. I would hum the note that I'm supposed to start on and start another note. And don't even know that I did it. I just... I just, that's how I am. But if you're musical, don't you appreciate God the musician? He didn't even give you 10 notes to work with. He gave you seven. And with only seven notes, we have not run out of combinations of those notes. I can't even say that I totally appreciate the way everybody switches those notes around. But isn't that amazing? And if you're artistic, do you know that God gave us only three primary colors? Three more secondary colors. And with those three colors, everything you see, I like color. Don't you like color? God likes color. He made all look, he put all the color in the flowers, did he not? Look at all the birds. Aren't they different colors? All the animals, aren't they different colors? All the people. <laughs> Guys, God loves colors. And so if you're artistic, did you ever just look at a, at a beautiful day? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. What if somebody today in church tonight... They said, oh, man, we are so excited about tomorrow. Why are you excited about tomorrow? Because yesterday we bought a brand new car and we pick it up tomorrow. Really? You got a, new car? We got a brand new car? We pick it up tomorrow. Really? What color is it? Green with a blue top. I bet, you, I bet you got a good deal. Is there anybody out here just, you're just so so moved to run out and buy a green car with a blue top? I don't even know if you could find one in the, in the town. Isn't that true? Because nobody wants a blue top on a green car. And you have a God that puts green grass and a blue sky above it. And you go, that is so beautiful. Right? This God. So if you're artistic, you, sh- you should appreciate God the artist. I'm a writer. I write books. I appreciate God the writer. I really do. I am so swept up by this author. His, his phraseology. You know what he says? He's, he doesn't say that, that uh, you know, where we live now, it's all desert. And um, he doesn't say Moses was in the desert for 40 years. What does he say? The backside of the desert. You know what that's like? That's like, they're sending me to the moon. What could be worse? The dark side of it. <laughs> you know how my, my God writes? It says in Acts chapter 18, Apollos was preaching the wrong message. He was preaching the gospel, uh, the uh, uh, baptism of John the Baptist instead of the gospel. And it says, Aquila and Priscilla took him unto them and expounded him the way of God more perfectly. They led him to Christ. But isn't that a cool way to say it? So I appreciate God the writer. I really do. Uh, if you do this, and keep this in mind what I'm about to say. When you read a book, you do two things. You read two things. You read the book, and you read the author. Uh, if I write a book, you may, you may read the book and you'll say, uh, oh man, I learned something. You're reading the book. And sometimes you're going to go, oh yeah, that sounds like Gip. Now you're reading the author. For that reason, sometimes when I'm reading my Bible, I just stop. I really do. I stop and I look up to heaven. I go, this is some book. And that's the day I'm reading the book. But some days I don't do that. Some days I stop and I say, you are some God. Because that's the day I'm reading the author. Listen very carefully. Listen. If you don't read your Bible, all you will ever know about God is what somebody else tells you. So you need to read this book, not just to learn this book, but to get to know your God. And you may find out that you don't agree with everything God does. But he's right, and you're wrong. And so people say this, and it makes me angry on God's behalf. I've heard him say this. The Bible is boring. Boring. The Bible's not boring. I say it this way. My God has a flair for the dramatic. I mean, don't you imagine that if you could see him speak a universe into existence in six days, I don't think at the end of the week you'd say, well, that was boring. <laughs> I think it was tremendous. You know what I think he did? I think he said, let there be, like when he said, let there be trees, I don't think the trees appeared. I think they came up. You ever see time lapse? You know, the, you see the sprout and leaves fall I think that's what happened. I think, oh, this is cool. I like, I like what I did. <laughs> he said, this was good. I think I'll do it again. What could I do? It wasn't boring. Then you get seven chapters in, and he looks down at this entire world, and the entire world was like Hollywood. Yes, Hollywood. You know how he described it? Their imagination is only evil continually. Does that not describe Hollywood? I'm going to give you something. I am not sure of what I'm about to tell you. But I suspect it. And you need to hear it. You hear, you know, uh, you're aware of uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. That God is dealing with us, the Gentiles. And, and it says until what? Until the time of the Gentiles is full. Right? You know what I used to think that meant? I used to think that, that, that somewhere in God's divine calendar is a check mark. And when we reach that day, the time of the Gentiles is full. I'm not sure that's it. Because I... I remember an Old Testament statement that he said about letting the children of Israel take Canaan. And he said, I can't let you go in yet because their wickedness is not what? Full. And I thought, I wonder if when he said the time of the Gentiles is not full, if we're going to be so wicked like the Canaanites, he said, I just can't take it anymore. Go ahead. Go ahead. Turn your TV on. Go to a public school and watch what they're doing with the kids. I mean... Is this, is this world not more wicked? Is this country not more wicked than you ever thought it would be before the Lord came? I thought homosexuality was like you were against the wall. Where did he go from there? They found someplace. So he looks down there and he goes, I am going to kill them. I am going to kill them all. Now, guys, there are only two angels in heaven whose names we are given. Gabriel and Michael. Sorry, there is no angel Raphael. Okay. And those guys have a job. And you know, you had Lucifer. He had a third of the angels. Gabriel had a third of the angels. Michael has a third of the angels. Gabriel is the talker. If God has a message to give somebody, he sends Gabriel. When he wanted to talk to Daniel, he said, Gabe, go tell him something. When he wanted to talk to, to uh, Elizabeth about having John the Baptist, he said, go tell her. When he had to tell Mary, you're going to have the, 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 the son of God, who'd he send? Gabriel. Because he's the talker. But you already knew that. You knew that because when you see two people talking, you say, what do you do? And they said, oh, we're just gabbing. Did you ever stop and think, why do we say we're gabbing when we're talking? So, Gabriel is the talker. Michael is the archangel. Michael is the George S. Patton of heaven. If God wants something broken and someone killed, Michael is the guy, okay? So, let me give you some, this may may save you a lot of time. I don't believe that some angel is going to glow in your bedroom and talk to you, but if ever an angel does... And he says, I have a message from God. Ask him his name. And if it's Michael, cancel tomorrow's plans, okay? And so Michael's the guy, brother. He's the one that fights the devil in the book of Revelation, is he not? He didn't send Gabriel for that. And so God looks down at at this earth and he says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill them all. And I can just see Michael, man. He's got a two-edged sword. And he looks back at the angel and like, Come on, guys. And God says, Whoa, 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 what we can do? You, you want them dead? We do dead. <laughs> yeah. I want to try something new. What's more fun than this? God says, Mike, you ever seen rain? What is rain, Lord? That's where water comes down from the sky. Lord, water doesn't come down from the sky. It comes up from the ground. That's how you made it. Yeah, I know, I know. But I'm going to do it different this time. I'm going to make it come down from the clouds for 30 days and 30, 40. I'm going to do it for 40 days and 40 nights. Watch this. When I was in in Bible college, now this, this, what I'm about to say, it revolves around one question that we cannot answer. Was the topography of this globe the same in the days of Noah as it is today? Because if it was, then the tallest mountain was 29,000 feet. And in order to cover the the, the tallest mountain the way the Bible said it did in 40 days, it had to rain two and a half feet per minute. Two and a half feet per minute. I was talking with your pastor about his house fire, and he said they had some kind of a water cannon that it literally he says they can bore 30, three foot deep holes in the ground just with the power of that water. Can you you say, well, where's all the dwellings from before Noah? Imagine the force of that water smashing everything. And wouldn't you say that's a little dramatic? Yeah. And then he looks down in, in Genesis chapter 18, he goes, he looks at those five evil cities Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zaboyim, and San Francisco. (laughs) I am going to kill them. I am going to wipe them out. And I can see Michael. Okay, guys, open the water valves. What are you doing, Mike? Well, you know, I kind of like the sword. You like the water. Yeah, but I've already done water. I want to do something different. What are you going to do? Mike, have you ever seen fire and brimstone fall from the sky? This is kind of like fireworks in reverse. You ever see fireworks? What do you think it would would be like if you could be about a mile away from Sodom and Gomorrah and not turn into a a column of salt, and you could watch the fire and brimstone fall from the sky? I have a piece of that brimstone. That's not a joke. Many years ago, a, a uh, biblical archaeologist went over there. He found what he thought was the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. He found brimstone or sulfur like this. And, and he had a stainless steel spoon. And he took a little bit of uh, just a, a, about a quarter inch of the sulfur, lit it in the spoon, and it burned a hole right through the spoon. And a guy that went over there got one of those. I got it. And uh, if I ever want to burn holes in my uh, stainless steel spoons, I keep it for that reason in case I ever. Anyway. Don't you think that was dramatic? Guys, our God has a flair for the dramatic, does he not? I mean, walking on water, raising dead people. You don't think that's dramatic? Yeah. But what about the names and chronicles? Never attach them to your children. That's the names and chronicles. Never give your child a name that they have to spell every time they say it, okay? They will, not, they will not be excited about how spiritual you are. And I have a preacher. Uh, he's with the Lord now. And you know how he'd read Chronicles? He'd read Chronicles like this And Butch begat Butch. And Butch begat Butch. And Butch begat Butch. Now, I think that's funny. But that's not what it says. You know what, I, I'm, I'm suspecting this. I don't say that it happened, but I'm not sure that when, when God inspired Chronicles, he didn't just take a bunch of scrabble pieces, throw them on the floor and go, put that in there, that to keep them busy. I mean, some of those names, you say them and somebody says Gesundheit. You know what I do? I, I, don't, I, I can't say I'm great at it, but I try to say the names. You know why? It's not because I want to be so right or anything like that. Uh, I, I do it for this reason. Tell me if I'm not talking to somebody else that is kind of like me. Are you trying the best you can to live to the glory of God? Okay. And I told you this morning, I don't believe that I'm talking to a bunch of serial killers and child molesters. I don't think I'm talking to these people that are secretly evil. I don't think that's you guys. I think I'm talking to a bunch of people like me who are trying the best they can to serve God. And then you mess up. I call it dropping the ball. I call it hurting him by accident. You ever hurt him by accident? Yeah, I feel so bad. I hurt him by accident. That's why I say the names. He deserves the laugh. What I envision when I am reading Chronicles, and I'm down here, and I am trying to, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like Biden trying to say good morning. And I'm stumbling through a name, and what I see up in heaven is God gone. whoa, whoa, Mike Gabe. Guys, guys, listen to this guy. Listen. I am God. I know everything. And I never thought that those letters in that order would make that sound right there. <laughs> but that's pretty dramatic. If you heard me say some of them names, you'd probably say, you're not allowed to use language like that. Guys, I, I don't think this book is boring. Let me tell you what happened. Um, we'll, we'll take a look. Take a look. Look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And 2 Kings chapter 6, and I started to allude to this by accident in one of the messages earlier. Um, In 2 Kings, Kings chapter 6, look at verse 8. The king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such place shall be my camp. And here's what happens. The king of Syria wants to kill the king of Israel. So he sends a hit team. He sends a special forces squad. He sends these guys down and he says, kill the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is going to walk right into the trap. And what happens? The prophet Elisha says, don't go down that road. They're waiting to kill you. Go down this road. Oh, thanks. And he goes down this road. And they said, king of Syria says, why don't you kill him? Oh, because you know what? We set up the ambushment over here. And he went down that road. Okay, then set one up on that road too. And before he goes down that road, Elisha says, okay, king, king, not that road, not that road. Go this one right here, because they're waiting to kill you on those two roads. And finally, the king of Syria says, do I have a spy here? Do somebody here have a Chinese chariot driver? What is going on? And they said, oh, no, no, that prophet down in Israel knows everything you say, and he's telling the king of Israel where these things are. He says, go get him. Look at what this says. Look at verse uh, 13. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. So here is Elisha, living in Alabama. (laughs) Therefore sent he thither horses (coughs) and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. Now one of the things I tell people, because I get this, I get this. I can't believe, I have no problem telling people to read the Bible and have a lost person mock me or say something about it. it's not important, to read the Bible. I have Christians who say, well, Gip just says read the Bible so you can count how many times you read the Bible. No, I don't tell them that. I count how many times I read my Bible, sure. But I tell you to read it for what you're going to get. And you know what I tell people when you read your Bible? You know what you need to do? Get out of your chair and get out of your living room and get out of your house and get out of where you live and enter the scene that you're reading. So imagine waking up, and, and it says his, his servant. Look, verse uh, 15. And when the servant of man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host can pass the city both with horses and chariots. Gehazi, his, his, his servant, gets up, and he sees the whole city is buzz. What's going on? What, oh, haven't you heard? No. Uh, climb out that and look over the wall. He looks over the wall to the north. Oh, no. Wall-to-wall Syrians. Yeah. He goes, i already told my master, we're going to have to go south. out of the oh, No, no, I heard they got the south closed off too. Oh, no. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, we, there's a road out to the east. No. They got the whole east cut off. Go west, young man. No, they got the entire city is surrounded. He says, oh, no, this is bad. The guy says, no, it's not really that bad. They don't even want to conquer the city. All they want is that prophet, Elisha. Do you know what happens if they get Elisha? They get Gehazi. And he's going, oh, that's a bummer. I think I'll quit. But look what it says in verse 15. And when a servant of the men of God was risen early and, uh, risen early, uh, and gone forth, behold, an host can pass the city around uh, both with horses and chariots. And the, and the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Now, have you ever met one of those people, they're just so spiritual, that no matter what happens, they see something spiritual about it? Oh, the plane is crashing. Well, that's okay. We'll just see God in a little while. You may see him before I do. I mean, there's always that there's, they're just unflappable. They're really spiritual. They're great people. It's just not me. And so here's Gehazi, and he goes, oh, what am I going to do? And watch this spiritual answer. Verse 16, and he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Where be they that be with them, with us, because I ain't seeing nobody with us. Let me give you a prayer for when you read your Bible. Never, ever, ever, never say, God, open the Bible to me. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. The problem is you. You say, God, open my eyes to what is here. The problem is you and me. It's not the book. We always say, well, God, open the Bible. No, 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 the Bible's open. Did you notice? Watch what Elisha does. He never says, send help. He doesn't say, God, send us help. Look what he says in verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Does it say in that verse that he prayed for help and the Lord sent the help? Does it? No. Doesn't it sound like they were already there? The kid just couldn't see him? Man, that that stumped me for years. I'd read that, and i think, how, how did? How are they there and he couldn't see them? And then I told you, I was... I was at a pastor's house. I'm in his library. I'm waiting for, uh, I'm waiting for uh, him to get, take care of some business. And I see a book on photography. I'm not, I'm not into photography. If you're in photography, I'm going to say a name. I'm probably going to say it wrong. I'm going to get the initials wrong, but you're going to understand who I'm talking about. I'm, I'm looking at this book in photography, and I saw one of the most interesting pictures I've ever seen in my life. It was a picture taken. Now, you remember Matthew Grady and the Civil War and 1860s? This picture was taken in 1837. It was taken by a guy who was like L.J.M. de Gure. De Gure was a very early photographer. And this picture was taken from like a, maybe a second or third story window. And you see this, this aisle here and this aisle here. It's a downtown Paris street looking down the street with two cross streets here. With a cross street here. And it is a picture of Paris, France on a on an afternoon, like at noon, in 1837. Uh, now, what do you think you're going to see at noon in Paris? It wouldn't be burning like it is now. What would you see? How about this? Shoppers? Businessmen? Maybe some kid with a dog? Maybe a carriage? A horse? Correct? Nothing. Absolutely no one is on the street. It is downtown Paris at noon, this street, there's nobody. This street, there's nobody. There is one human being that you can see. And you know what he's doing? He's getting his shoe shine. He is standing on the corner right down here, and he's like this. And he's the only guy in the picture. And when I read the caption under the picture, get this, it says this. When Degure took the picture, the street was bustling with people. I do not think that word means what he thinks it means. This is not exactly this is buffing, but not exactly bustling. Then I kept reading, and it said this: the street was bustling with people, but only the man getting his shoe shined was still long enough to be picked up by the five-minute exposure. See, we're used to taking pictures like Click, it's done right, but in the early days of photography, they opened uh, they opened the the uh, screen the lens. And they had to leave it open for about five minutes. It was great for taking pictures of trees and grass and things that did not move. But if you moved, you literally could walk from one side of that picture to the other. And if you kept moving, you were moving too fast for that that camera to pick it up. That street was bustling with people. They were just moving too fast for the camera to see. And I thought of this verse. Open his eyes that he might see. I wonder if they were all there. All of those angels, they were just moving so fast, nobody could see him. And when he said, could you open his eyes so he can see? Maybe Michael said, Ka-pli-ho! And all those angels were and just kind of went, whoa. Which makes me wonder, what could be in this room right now moving so fast that we cannot see it? That should they stop? we will really be moving so fast that they can't see us. All right? <laughs> Guys, I think that's pretty dramatic. I think that's dramatic. I'm impressed. I have had people tell me this. They say, uh, well, you know, I'm going to read the Bible when I feel better. Then you're never going to read the Bible. Guys, did you ever hear anybody say, I hurt a lot when I was young, and as I got older, it stopped? (laughs) Oh, no. i got to talk to these guys here. i got to give you some seriously bad news. Pray for the rapture, okay? Because after you're 50, every night while you sleep, your body tries to kill you. And it takes you a whole day to get over that attempt. And just when you do, you got to go back to bed. Is this not true? After you turn 50, do you not got, you get pain where you didn't even know you had parts? Oh, ah, ooh, what, what do I have here? What hurts? I think we're born with pain glands. They don't even come online until you're 50. And then they make up for lost time. I mean, people just hurt. Guys, if you're going to wait till you feel good to go door knocking, to go track passing, to go down the street and hold the sign, to come to church, to read your Bible, if you're going to wait until you feel good, you are never going to do anything. You mean I should go when I don't feel good? You should go when you don't feel good. I had a guy tell me this, and I won't elaborate on it because I, I, I talked about it this morning, but I had a guy say this, whining, a man whining. It's such a big book. And that's what I told him. I said, aren't you glad God didn't write an encyclopedia? I am very glad God did not write an encyclopedia. I have a set of encyclopedias. I got rid of them. Not because I can go online. They were just very bulky, and they were 1933. Does anybody know when the First World War was? No, I was not there. 1914 to 1919. I got an encyclopedia from 1933. Isn't that after that war? The First World War was not in there. There was no article on the First World War. You know why? Because before the, First World, before the Second World War, they never called it the First World War. They called it the Great War. So there was an article on the Great War. Uh, there was an article that talked about going to the moon in the fastest Flying machine, there was 150 miles an hour. It said it takes like three and a half months. Isn't that scientific? But you read this book, and it's right, and it's right, and it's right, and it's right. Uh, It said that, tell me if we haven't hit it, there'd be a time when good would be called evil and evil would be called good. There would be a time when they would say, if you don't do what we tell you, you can't buy and sell. I mean, guys, this book becomes more relevant every single day. And so I am glad that God gave us this book. Now, let me tell you this one. I've gotten this excuse one time in my entire life. I had this guy in my church, and he was a good man. He wasn't a bad man. He was a good man. And, and let, me, let me explain to you folks who are not in the ministry. When you pastor a church, you find out that there's only two kinds of problems in the world. I didn't say two problems in the world. I said two kinds one kind and two kind, and every problem you got would go in one of these two colors. And here's what they are, real and imagined. And we are Baptists, we can imagine some great stuff. Uh, I told you I was teaching in college down in Massillon, and I went in one of my classes one day, one of my students came up to me, had had that, that horrible look on his face like the world just ended. And he goes, pray for me, brother, pray for me. I said, yeah. I said, what's wrong? He said, nothing, everything's gone good. I said, then what am I praying for? You know when things are going good, something bad is gonna happen. So I smacked him. <laughs> Me and John Calvin took care of that little problem right there. I said, now you can relax, it's happened. I mean you get and Christians, you know, they're chemtrails. They're in the air even now. Shape-shifting lizard people. You say you're making it up. I know King James Bible believers that believe in shape-shifting lizard people. Because I mocked them, they just probably think that I'm one. Well, preacher, what should I do if, let's say, a UFO lands in my backyard? That's easy. Get back on. This guy came in. It was not an imagined problem. This guy had a real problem. You ever have a real problem? I'm talking about a problem you said, "I have no tomorrow." Problem you say, "My world is over." You ever had that kind of a problem? Some people have those problems. They put a they put a bullet in their head. This guy is sitting in front of me, and he is telling me. And I mean, it was woeful. I told you first thing I asked. I'm not trying to catch anybody, but first thing I asked, I said, "Have you been reading your Bible?" And I'm ready for, it's too big, I fall asleep, I lose my place. But he told me something I've never heard before or after. He said this. And it's, this is probably going to be one that you're going to hear more and more because of our public education system. But he said, preacher, he said, I can write my name and I can read road signs. But he said, I graduated from high school and I cannot read. Now, didn't I tell you that there's only two valid excuses for read, not reading the Bible, death and the rapture? But how can you expect somebody to read something when they can't read? But unfortunately, this guy had the meanest pastor in the world. And I asked him three questions. I knew that they would make him mad, but he needed that. And so I asked him those three questions. I said, where do you live? He said, Auburn. I said, where? He said, New York. I said, where? He said, in the United States of America. I said, you're right. And I said, there's not a public high school in the country that does not have night classes in remedial English. Why don't you find out when Auburn High has theirs and go to night class and learn how to read English so you can read your Bible? Now, you might be sitting there right now and go, boy, you just didn't have any compassion. You were just so hard. Are you kidding me? Did God write this book? Then if I can get him to learn how to read, am I not giving him the key to enter this book and be blessed from God for the rest of his life? And so he said this, I'm going to do that. I have the gift of interpretation. That means he's not going to do that. <laughs> Seven months later, I had an evangelist in, Sunday through Friday meeting. Friday night, meeting's over. And before we leave, he has people, so he says this, uh, I'd like some testimonies of uh, what the meeting did for you. And so somebody stood up over here and said, the uh, meeting helped me this way. And somebody stood over here. And this guy's sitting way in back. He said, yes. And the guy said, uh, he said, I don't have a testimony of what the meeting did for me. But if you'd let me, I'd like to read my favorite passage of Scripture to my church. Now, this neck does not turn fast. But it did that day. And I looked back there, and the evangelist didn't understand. He goes, well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And the guy stood up with a big family Bible. And he he started to read his favorite passage. And he stumbled not like somebody who's not familiar with the book, like a second grader who's not familiar with the language. Man. Now, you I know what you're thinking. Ooh, I bet your church was excited. No, they didn't know he couldn't read. I don't know if you guys do this. Please don't do this. Don't say this to yourself. What does our pastor do all week? Did you ever stop and think about this? If he's doing his job, you're not allowed to know. Would you want to come to him Monday, Tuesday, tomorrow, the next day, and tell some horrible thing about your life, and him get up Sunday and go, guess what so-and-so told me in the office this week? I just want to let you know I'm doing my job. I have to say that. You know what I used to say? I used to say this. What would you do if your pastor got up and said, good news, uh, Fred is going to quit beating Maud, and she's going to quit chewing. <laughs> and then I said that, and this guy went over, red-faced, howling, laughing. And I looked at his wife, and I said, He's not Fred, is he? She said. I said, well, at least you're not Maude. She said, yes, I am. It was the last we saw those two people in church. But really, really, you have no idea what you say to a preacher that he can't let anybody know. Isn't that true? You know who the only two people in church knew that guy couldn't read? Him and me. I didn't go around telling everybody in church he couldn't read. But when he got done reading and this guy closed the service, I went back there. I said, what did you do? He said, preacher, I just finished six months, every Tuesday and every Thursday, seven o'clock in the evening at Auburn High, so I could learn how to read English, so I could read my Bible. Man, wouldn't you like to meet somebody like that? No. No, you don't want to meet somebody like that. Oh, you said, no, you don't. Not if you're reading the Bible. Not reading the Bible. Because you know where you might meet him? You might meet him at the judgment seat of Christ. When you give God your lame, limp soggy excuse on why you couldn't read the Bible, God will say, Hey, hey, come on out here. Tell them what you were going through when you went to school for six months at night. Guys, we're supposed to be reading this book. And whatever excuse is, learn how to read. Find a way to access the words of God. In 2017, six years ago, I was back at my church. I just had a meeting there last year. But I was back preaching the 40th anniversary of that church. And there, He's still reading his Bible and still in church and got through a problem that was a heart stopper. You say, I can't read. You can read. Uh, I, I understand what I'm about to tell you. I understand the problem with it. Uh, I've had people say this. Well, preacher, let me tell you what happened. Uh, I, I knew I should read my Bible. So I started reading my Bible and I went on for about two months doing just great. And then something happened and I stopped. And I said, well, start again. Well, I did, I did. Uh, about three months later, I started, and I read it for about a, a month and a half, and, and then I stopped. And, yeah, well, start again. Well, yeah, I did. I, I read about a week, and then I stopped. Then start again. Doesn't the Bible say a righteous man falls down how many times? How many times did he get up? I had a man, uh, a young man in our church, had some serious problems, and, and he came to my house, uh, and he was telling me how he, he, had, he had done some things and how he's getting right with God. And he goes, I'm such a failure. I said, no, no, you're a success. You're standing at my door. I said, what you're telling me is that you, not, you, got, you got knocked down. But you're standing here telling me you got back up. That's the key. You know what your, your spiritual life and your Christian life and your spiritual growth is going is to hinge on? Not how many times you fall. But how many times you get back up. I mean, let me show you this. I have uh, here here, between the Testaments, I have a blank page, and I have my Bible reading how many times I finished my Bible. Now don't sit there go. Gip reads his Bible and counts how many times he read his Bible, how carnal. You know what my response to that is: What are you counting? Antlers? grandchildren, golf strokes. Oh, the real important things you're counting, right? So I didn't, start, I didn't start counting until my 11th time. I finished my 11th time through the Bible in December of 1977. In 1978, I read my Bible twice, cover to cover. That's not 10 pages a day. That's not three. Three will get you through three times a year. In 1979... I read it two times. In 1980, I read it four times. 81, four times. 82, twice. 83, twice. 84, twice. 85, once. That must have been a downer of a year. 1986, I read it twice. And in the end of 1986, I left my church to go back into evangelism. And I call my ministry a friend to churches. I want to be a help to a church. And I got to tell you this what happened. I I said, God, I want to be a friend of churches, And you know what verse he gave me? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I thought, well, that's a real verse. But guys, that's who's speaking to you right now. I'm not wicked. I'm desperately wicked. Now, how can somebody desperately wicked help a church? Like, the best thing I could do is not show up. And I know what some of you are thinking. Then why are you here? Because at this very moment... I am being a friend to so many other churches where I am not. And I am a believer. You may not like this word, but I like this word. I believe in suppression. Do you know why we have a generation out there burning the country down? Their flesh is never suppressed. A belt suppresses flesh. And I don't mean holding your britches up. The Bible says you spank them, they'll not die. And I believe in... let me tell you what happened. We had one of our sons... Learned two things on the same day. It's the only time he ever did it. He learned to crawl, and he learned the word no on the same day. I think he was about 15. <laughs> he learned to crawl, and when he learned to crawl, he wanted to be a private investigator. He's crawling over here, and he's grabbing this, and he's grabbing that, and he's grabbing my ashtray. And um, <laughs> he went to grab something, and I went, no. And he went, and grabbed it. He wasn't being rebellious. He didn't know what no meant. He found out that afternoon. <laughs> My boys, for the, for the longest time, thought no had something to do with lightning, because every time they heard no, it struck. They thought a timeout was how long they were unconscious, okay? <laughs> Later that afternoon, he went to grab something after I taught him about what no is. I went, no. He went, What is that? That's suppression. I think your flesh needs to be suppressed. Reading this book. You know why I read 30 pages every day? Honest, guys, it is not to get new sermons. If you heard me preach, you know that's true. It's not to find something nobody else found in the Bible. You know why I read 30 pages a day for you? Because I'm trying to suppress the wickedness of the most wicked individual that I, that I have to deal with every day. And so starting in uh, 1987, I started reading... 30 pages a day. And I have read it until on February 28th of this year, I finished my 336th time through the Bible. First of this month, I started number 337. My intention, God can change this anytime he wants. My intention is to read it every day, every day, every day, every day, until I die or the Lord comes and takes us out of here. So, if you, if you start and stop, start. If right now you have read your Bible, but you're not doing it right now, you've stopped, start. If you stop next week, start. And if you're going to have to stop, just start and just keep on going. I'll give you the last one. This guy came up to me. I was talking about reading 10 pages a day. And I don't know anything about this guy except that his mother is really ugly. Now, I'm not not insulting her. I'm really not. I'm not insulting him. The only reason I think she must be ugly is because he thought she looked like me. Is this not? Lady, you really want this? And here's what he said. I tried reading 10 pages a day, and it gave me a headache. What should I do? Now, you know what mom's going to say. Well, honey, it gives you a headache. You just don't read it. Isn't that what his mom would say? I and his mom, I said, read it with a headache. He, he couldn't believe that was the answer. Like, you're not allowed to say it. Read it with a headache. Guys, um, I have some problems. And they're all right here. I've been three surgeries here, last MRI, I've only got three vertebrae that moved. They said they're deteriorating. I've got bone spurs the whole length. Uh, I've got permanent spinal cord damage. And uh, uh, there's a lot of things that go on that I can't tell you about, but I can tell you about one: I have a headache. I had a headache yesterday. I had a headache the day before that. I'll have a, have a headache tomorrow. I've had a headache every day since October of 2015. I hurt in my dreams. I cry in my sleep. My wife has asked me, what happened last night? What did you dream? And In my dreams, I hurt, and I just couldn't take it anymore, and I'm crying in my sleep. Now, I'm not giving you that. I'm not playing a violin, so you go, oh, you poor thing. No, no, no. What I'm telling you is that I read it every day with a headache. The worst day I ever had. Now, if you can read 10 pages in 30 minutes, then can't you read 30 in an hour and a half? The worst day I had, it took me eight Hours to get my Bible reading done, but I got my Bible reading done. I am sorry. Please forgive me if I sound a little incompassionate when you come up and go, well, I'm I start to read it and I get a headache. If you really believed it, you'd read it with a headache because it still has a good effect on you. So guys, read the book, read the book, read the book, read the book, and read the book until you die or until you hear a real loud headache. I don't think that's what I meant. A real loud trumpet. Now, let me tell you what you're all going to do with this message. We don't always know. I don't always know what people are going to do when I get done preaching, but I know what everybody's going to do. There was a man. He went next door to his neighbor's house, knocked on the door. Neighbor came to the door. What can I do for you? He said, "Uh, can I borrow your chainsaw? Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I can't lend you my chainsaw today. I'm making chicken soup. Why do you need a chainsaw to make chicken soup? Well, actually, I don't. But any excuse will do when I didn't want to lend you my chainsaw anyway. And you know what all you're going to do? I'll tell you what everyone is going to do. You're going to read this book every day the rest of your life, or you're going to make chicken soup. Because any excuse will do when you weren't going to read it anyway. I'll tell you about a, a young man. A nice young man. He's in his 40s now. You know, you people, you have your children, and the first time they do anything, you put it, well, now, well, you probably take 50 pictures of them, put it on the internet. Look, he batted an eye. Uh, He rolled over. He threw a knife. (laughs) And uh, you you remember when your kids found their hands, or they followed your finger, and they had this child who's fine, and they had another one that's had this young boy. You know what? This boy didn't roll over when the other ones rolled over. This one didn't follow their finger, and he never found his hands when the other ones found their hands. And... They took him to the doctor. They said, we think we got a problem. They told the doctor. Doctor tested him. He said, yeah, you got a problem. He said, this baby has cerebral palsy. Brain paralysis. He said, this baby has cerebral palsy. He said, this boy will never speak. This boy will never walk. He will be a vegetable all of his life. You ever watch a baby crawl? They get up and they... This boy couldn't crawl like that. But I can still remember my wife and I were over their house. And when he was a little baby, when he should have been up on his hands and knees crawling, you know what he was doing? He would take his fingers and dig into the cut pile carpet of his parents' house and grunt and groan as he would drag himself. He was determined, I'm getting around. He walks today. Now, he didn't walk like you. He can't walk without his walker. If he came in today, he'd have his walker. And that's how he walked. He talks today. No, he doesn't talk like you. He does like this. They say that he's got the intellect of a second grader, which means he could still serve in Congress. (laughs) Some years ago, he was addressing, I don't know how, but he was addressing a room full of Christian adults. Now, I'm going to give you the testimony that he gave and if, if if I use the word that he uses, and I will, and it offends you, quit watching television and you'll be better. Because here's what this young man said. He's gripping this pulpit to stay standing. And he said this. I am a retard. I read my Bible cover to cover two times. If you say... The Bible is too hard for you to read. Are you dumber than a retard? When you think I'm rough, Ooh, wouldn't you like to meet him? No, 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 you wouldn't meet him. Because you might meet him at the judgment seat of Christ. You might meet him when you give God your lame, sorry, limp sog soggy excuse on why you couldn't read the book. And the Lord will say, uh, hold that thought. John, come on out here. And he will walk out on two good legs and a straight back and a clear mind and a voice like a cold wind on a winter night. And he'll say, Lord, don't you buy what they're selling you. You know what I was like when I was down there. And I read your book. Now, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. But I want to give you one more illustration. And you women will understand it far more than the men because you women cook. I hope you women cook. And... I told you, my wife, my wife is a tremendous cook. She's not a good cook. She is a great cook. And I know what she does. I know the secret. When she whatever everything she makes, she puts her finger in it, and then it's good. You know what I learned about cooking? I learned that a really big meal doesn't get cooked on the day you eat it. You know Thanksgiving is a big meal, it's a Thursday. My wife starts Thanksgiving's meal on Monday. And she works on it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday she has it done. I mean, do you really ever have a big somebody coming? And you, you got a big meal, and it took you more than one day to do it? Imagine this, ma'am. Imagine you're going to have this, this special guest, special guest. Let's say a uh, dynamic deb- debonair evangelist from Idaho or something like that. <laughs> and you lay the whole thing out on the table. I mean, you've got, you've got fried chicken. You've got mashed potatoes. You, you cook a roast. You've got a ham, your favorite cinnamon rolls. I mean, you got it all on the table and the guy walks in and says, wow, wow. You didn't do this in a day, did you? Well, no, no, I've, I've been working on a couple of days. Man, you really put out the spread on this. Well, I wanted you to, you know, I wanted you to, to have what you wanted. What, what would you like first? You say, well, actually, I don't want any of it. I'd like peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I hope you're not standing near a steak knife. Ma'am, if you went to all that trouble to prepare that meal for that guy, And he said he wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Am I overstating the case if I say you're probably going to be offended? Yeah, like scratch his eyes out. I'm going to give an invitation. Let me tell you what the invitation is not. Because you're going to think this is what I'm going to give you an invitation to do. I'm not going to give you this invitation to do this. The invitation tonight is not come down here and promise God you're going to read two pages, three pages, ten pages, a thousand pages of your Bible every day. No, no, no. I'm not going to want you to come down here and promise God anything. But let me ask you, that lady goes to all that trouble to put that meal on the table and you don't eat it. You don't want it. You're not interested. Don't you think, even though you don't partake of her efforts, don't you think you at least owe her an apology for all the work she went to for nothing? I don't know what you paid for your Bible, $100, $150. I don't care what it was. Do you know that your Bible was cheap compared to what he paid? Do you understand some of the men that that wrote these holy words paid for it with their blood? I got this book that I'm working on. Uh, It's cataloging the Greek manuscripts, the New Testament. I got into a a private uh, collection of Greek manuscripts. I'm not allowed to tell where it was. But the guy had an English Bible. It was a 1380 Wycliffe in Old English. And I'm looking at it. And the pages are yellow. But across this page, these pages where it's open are brown spots. You know what the brown spots were? The brown spots are where the owner was reading it when the Catholics kicked in his door and murdered him and splattered his blood across the pages of his own Bible. Do you understand? You've never paid for this book, what God paid for this book? God took this book. He wrote it in the blood of some of the best people he had. Then he put it in a little ship and he set it over to us on an ocean of the blood of some of the best people that ever walked this earth for God. And then you get it and say, I don't like the these and the thous." I can't say the names. You know what somebody said one time? Got to put a steak dinner table in front of you, but he's not going to cut it up and feed it to you. You know what I say? Shut up and eat your steak. And so here's the invitation. I want you to bow your heads. Stand, if you will. Stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to ask you two questions. All I'm going to ask is that you be honest. I will not ridicule you, I will not guilt trip you. I'd just like you to be honest. How many people will say this tonight? Preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved, but since I've been saved, I have not read my Bible one time, cover to cover, every word. Here's my hand to acknowledge that. Just lift it up. I won't mock you, okay? God bless you. Thank you very much. Anybody else, put your hand up. I have never read my Bible one time, cover to cover. All right, you can put them down. Now, maybe some of you, <coughs> obviously, some of you have read your Bible. But the second question tonight is this Preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved, but I am not presently reading my Bible on a daily basis to get through it, cover to cover. Here is my hand to acknowledge that. Go ahead, lift them up. Be honest. All right, you put them down. First off, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your honesty. God bless you for your honesty. Now, you who raised your hands, and you who know that you should have and didn't, I'm going to have a word of prayer. When I get done praying, I'm going to invite you. Because somebody put a real meal on a table for you, and all you wanted was peanut butter and jelly. God gave you a tremendous feast, and you wanted to watch Dancing with the Stars. And so tonight, maybe, can't you do this just once in your life? Don't you think just once in your life you can tell him you're sorry for neglecting his book? And so before we leave here, we'll invite you to say, Lord, get on your knees. Say, Lord, I'm so sorry for all the trouble that you went to to give me this book. And here I am, I'm claiming to believe every word of it, but I haven't read every word of it, or I'm not reading every word of it. I'm not telling you to promise him anything. But can't you once, once say, I am sorry for neglecting your book. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. And thank you for this book. And God, I I don't look down on these people. These people are good folks. I've known these people for a long time. I'll vouch for them, God. I really will. But there were some hands that went up and some that should have of Christians who have not read your Bible once. There are some hands that went up or others that should have. Of people who are not reading their Bible on a daily basis to get through it cover to cover. God, you inspired every word. Which means if you, inspired, if you put one word in the Bible that you did not expect them to read, you put it in vain and you never did anything in vain. So somebody in here owes you an apology. And I hope these folks have the integrity, the character, the ethics to simply say, dear God, I am so sorry for neglecting your Bible. It would be nice It would be nice for you to hear some of your people say that. Please, God, I pray that these people, that you will hear. This invitation is not for them, God. It is for you. And I pray that someone, before they leave this room, will say, Lord, I am so sorry for all the trouble you went through to give me my Bible. You put me in a church where they believe every word of it. And a pastor who doesn't get up and correct it. I'm sorry for not reading it. I hope you hear those words from somebody tonight, Lord. And then I hope that every person in this room, God, please bless them. And I pray that every one of these people will read this book every day until they die or until you come back and take us out of here. In Jesus Christ's name i pray.